This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora, welcome to the final episode of Bang for this season. It was recorded live at the Basement Theatre in Auckland. I'm Melody Thomas, and for those of you who love the produced and carefully curated nature of Bang Usually, this episode isn't like that. It was recorded live, so it's a very different feel. And also, I was quite excited, maybe a little nervous, and possibly talked too fast. A little too much, even. But it was a really great night out, and we did sell out the venue, which bodes well for future live shows at a venue near you. Just so you know, there's a reference to an erotic poem that we heard on the night right at the beginning but had to take out for this version of the podcast. But Laura Borrowdale, who's the poet, returned and read another one and that one is included. Without further ado, let's get straight into the Bang live show. Those who have listened to the podcast may or may not be familiar with this pair. This is Nick and Lena Bates, who are a father-daughter sex therapy duo. <laughs> so he's, he's the one that's qualified, and she is to be eventually qualified as a sex educator. But you've been doing this for a while, sex relationship therapy stuff. Quarter of a century. They are incredibly open with each other. In fact... I thought we'd set the scene by, because some, some people have heard some of their stories already in the podcast, but we shared, we talked about one before this, yeah. which is Lena's virginity story. Yeah. So I was coming back from Wellington. I knew I wanted to have sex with this person. It was my first time having sex. And I think just things got delayed and stuff. And I was like, I'm not going to have time to buy. How old were you? Just for Alice concerned uh, 19, listeners. N- 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19, 19 legal, very, very legal. Um <laughs> Almost too legal. But, um, <laughs> no, we don't make judgment. We're not making judgment calls like that. Yeah, Basically, I called my mum and said, I'm not going to have time to buy condoms. Can you please buy me condoms? Not a second thought. Of course, get home condoms. She's like, there's also some sachets of lube. Um, and so, yeah, and it also just meant that they knew I was having sex straight away. And they always said, you know, we want you to have sex in our house, not in like a bush. Bet, always better than a bush. But I feel like some people might hear we want you to have sex in our house and, and be like, be nervous about that. But you don't, because you're just like, this is my life. Yeah, I'm just like, why not? But um, I guess, because, yeah, sometimes you don't want to have sex like when you're like, when your, your parents next door are to your upstairs. Brother. Like, yeah, and he's like, you can hear him like yelling on the computer and it's like, you're so shit at gaming. And then you're like trying to have sex. That is a very specific <laughs> example to me. Ah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think it's just more creating the environment that it's always welcome rather than like don't have sex anywhere else. It's just like know that this is a safe space. We've got lots of questions that have come in through the question box and we're going to get to them a little bit later on. But I reckon, shall we answer a couple that came in over the internet? Sure. I'm sometimes keen on being submissive in the bedroom, including being told assertively what to do. However, my partner is such an unfailing, considerate guy and pathologically hooked on not pushing me too far that I basically have to request even moderately dirty things, which I know he enjoys anyway. This is a male writer also. He could just ask for them, but really does. <clears throat> how could I get him to be more confidently assertive and how could I get him to let go of his concern for me for a few minutes? I mean, I think there's a, there's a, there's a real concern for many guys about being a bad guy. Mm. Like, like there, there's, a, there's a lot about men being horrible to people, being abusive, being controlling. And so, um, you know, this is something, I mean, first... Are they talking about it? Are they, you know, are they having this conversation? We're probably going to go on and on and mm. on about 
communication and talking to each other and having the conversation. So that would be the first thing. Yeah. So you can be really explicit saying, X, Y, Z, you can do, you can do to me. Like, I like these things, mm. you know. But also, I think having a safe word in this scenario is just such a great peace of mind for both parties. But um, with a safe word, I would also be careful to emphasise that if the safe word is used, it's not the end of the world. You haven't hurt that person beyond repair. You know, you've just, just been like, like oh, wait, wait, brush wait. the line. Yeah. Let's not do that. But to give his partner that true peace of mind that I will use that word if I'm not okay, mm. you, you know, unless I'm saying that word, you just keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And then there's a, maybe a conversation between the couple about why does it bother you? Why do you, why do you need my reassurance before you go ahead? I mean, if I've given you a blanket, so what is it doing inside you if I don't give that to you? But is there something as well in, you know, when you're like a feminist or you're pretty up to play with like um, power dynamics and respect mm -hmm. and all of those things to then go into the bedroom and be like, I want you to demean me or I want you to call me these names or like, you know, that can be a, a struggle. Yeah, this is something I think about a lot, navigate a lot, talk with other people a lot. And I just think it's really limiting to put such harsh judgments on your sexual fantasies and sexual desires because to me really healthy sex is like the adult version of play it's the adult version of of you know just being really like carefree and trying things so to put the same sort of like moral judgments that you would like day to day I, I just think I, do, I don't quite think that sits right and and also that um if you're having those conversations with your partner ongoing that I like this in the bedroom, but I want to be treated this way outside of the bedroom, if someone can't grasp that, they're not able to be grasping that someone's multidimensional and people who can't grasp that aren't even that good at sex usually anyway, so I wouldn't worry about oh, it. Oh, <laughs> Is that your expert opinion? <laughs> Is that backed up by you? Um, I wouldn't, yeah, no, no, I wouldn't go that far. No, um, that's a bit hard. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I think in order for power play to work well, there has to be real trust and real respect, mm. you know? And I think there's nothing more feminist, you know, than, than, than it's kind of like than, than being shown real respect, mm. you know? And if somebody, you know, if somebody gives you the gift of trust, you know, and you use that well, that, that's a really, that's a loving, caring thing. And, I, and it's like, and if that's what they like and that's what turns them on and that's how they're wired and, do you know, it, there's, a, there's an argument around the whole kink being something, you know, an orientation, like it's not a choice for some people, mm. you know, and it's like to say, oh, there's something wrong with you politically because that's the way you're wired. I think that's really, really unhelpful. There is power play mm. in many sexual relationships, yeah. you know, people holding each other down or tickling each other or, you know, doing things that their partner kind of doesn't like, but, you know, actually they, they both find amusing. You know, you've got a group of people for whom that's the most fun or that's their favourite way of having fun or it's something like... And they've, you know, they've done a whole lot of thinking and learning mm. and created a community and created, you know, knowledge and rules. You know, and they have contracts and safe words and... You know, mm. that, that actually, you know, uh, the, the, you know, those of us in the vanilla, vanilla world could maybe sometimes learn from. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a big point that I took from the research I did do is a lot of the... Um, misuse and misunderstandings around BDSM and kink is people, again, 
sex education through porn, you know, in a kinky porn scene, not uh, produced by a really mindful kink company, they're not showing negotiations of consent. They're not showing anyone using a safe word. They're not showing all the guidelines and rules of the subculture that makes it what it is. Mm. They're showing the aesthetic, which I think is really harmful. Yeah. So, But there is porn that shows all of that as well. Uh, I, for the ha- I don't know. Okay. I don't know. If not, there's a hey, market business for opportunity. It. Yeah, so... Um, so should we do one more question before we sure. send you out and then we're going to bring these two back. So the woman who first wrote in said, um, what's the latest thinking on, how do I pronounce this? Vaginis- vaginismus. Vaginismus. On why vaginismus stops a woman from being able to have sex or basically insert anything well up there. Always used to be considered a psychological problem like from trauma or abuse, but I'm fine, not stressed, in good health, in a relationship with someone I love heaps, really want to have sex, still can't fit more than two fingers in there. Even if I'm willing to tolerate pain, it's just basically not happening. And doctors have repeatedly told them it's psychological, which this person disagrees with. Let's talk about vaginismus specifically. So this is an involuntary contraction of the muscles within the pelvic floor. And, I mean, a lot of people who describe it talk about it you know, being like a brick wall, like there's no girth. Those are really strong muscles. Those muscles are continually holding up all the organs in our body. And is it painful? Um, it's, it's put, well, like anything, if you push hard and right. put on a muscle, yeah. it's painful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, now, there can be associated pain, and that can be the cause of the condition. Mm. So um, for a lot of people, it's begun, uh, it's begun as a result of a painful uh, well, sexual experience. It doesn't have to be you yeah. know, uh, you know, uh, unwanted, but um, can also come from a poorly managed uh, gyne- gynecological e- examination. A lot of people who have pain conditions of any kind, what they hear from the medical profession, they hear as, it's all in your head, okay? Now, if I, if I went to poke you in the eye and your eyelid closed, right? Mm. That's, <laughs> that's not a psychological reaction, you know, that's not psycho- mm. psychological. And that's what we're talking about with the reflex ara- ara- around these muscles. Right. It's that involuntary. You know, some people can work out what the cause was, and there, you know, and it, sometimes it can be growing up in an atmosphere that's you know anti-sex, mm. and then there can be no incidents of trauma, but somehow there is an association formed. Our minds are wonderful things. There is there's, there's this thin layer of consciousness over all this other processing that goes on outside of our consciousness, our conscious awareness, and so we learn things and we we make associations and connections that we're not aware of. You know, and you know, I mean, I, I remember um, reading reading a, a case where a woman was talking about she she was um, abused by her brothers, not sexually abused. She just she the parents were busy and the the brothers had free reign and they tormented, the, and she developed vaginismus. She mm. had an association between men and pain. So, what would you if this person presented to you? What would you? What, I mean, what's the first step? I mean, the first step is to find out you know what she what she's tried and what she's been told. Yeah. Okay. Sadly. There are plenty of gynaecologists out there and urologists who don't like talking about sex, which is a bit awkward. Mm. So they kind of go, like, do the examination, nothing I can do here, it's psychological, get it, you know, and, and it's kind of like, it, you know, the experience, I think, of the, of the, of the person mm. is it's quite dismissive and, you know, they kind of hear it's all in your head. Yeah, right. So I kind of want to find out what, you know, what they have tried. Mm. There are some really wonderful you know, um, physicians around the, 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 um, who are specialised in, you know, um, women's sexual health. Um, likewise, there are some wonderful pelvic floor physios around. Okay. Then there's also kind of, you know, what meanings are you making? Because it sounds like this person's ended up with some very negative meanings kind of about herself. Mm. 
maybe as a result of the interaction she's had with the health system, but I, you know, be kind of unpacking those as. Are you saying that interacting with the health system can make your vagina close up? Because <laughs> that's is that what everyone else is getting from that? <laughs> okay, so we're going to give you guys a round of applause and bring you back up to answer some audience questions soon. Please welcome Jacob Tamata, everybody. So I guess you guys all live in Auckland and you will have at least had the chance to um, go to a Faf Swag ball, which I haven't and I'm so jealous about. But Faf Swag, they are the elite force of what Pacific queer identity are today and trans community, making that visibility happen one step at a time through the love of art. And a lot of dance and, and a lot of the, dancing. The Faf Swag <laughs> ball is amazing and there's um, like competition it's a competition, it's a competition. Eh? To, to be crowned queen yes. of voguing and all things fabulous is that right. about right okay can you come to wellington please of i mean course. coven of and course. also both everything of course, definitely. yeah what what's your title in the coven collective again you're i am the duchess you're the duchess i'm the duchess that's my stage name um but my actual name is jacob thomas when i get off the stage and then people come up to me and they're like you are so amazing jacob and like it's Duchess. <laughs> so who are you now? I, <laughs> who am well, I talking was, to? <laughs> well, that was Duchess before, but right. Jacob. Before okay, cool, 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 cool. <laughs> we introduced the right person. So you just directed a show called Bionica at the, was yes. it the Pacific Dance Festival? How did yes. it go? Amazing. Quite challenging too. Actually real challenging, yeah. to be honest. It was my first um, debut directorial show. From what I read, it was it sounded like it was set in like an, a, a utopian ideal where especially indigenous kind of queer youth got to just be be who they were. Is that right? It was almost right. like an imagined future ideal. Like I have a lot of respect for coming out stories. You know that narrative is still there. It's still there, and it should be honoured. It should be cherished. But where do we cross that path? Where do we ultimately cross that barrier to say artists? who have that mind that can revolutionise anything in their own context can actually just break out of that and start moving forward. And so Bionica was about, yeah, just essentially the revolution for us brown indigenous queers. I, um, for the podcast, interviewed at some stage um, Rosanna Raymond, who I think, you, you probably know her, she calls herself an auntie of, like a fascinating auntie. She's, we call herself the mama. She talked about how sometimes the work she does because it pushes boundaries can ostracise her from the community she wants to be a part of. Is that something that you can relate to? Of course, tradition is a very major aspect in where we grew up and come from. Mm. And I think to this day, well, going back from high school when I came out, the lowest of the lows. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I think from then on, I had to find something that had to cater to my sexuality rather than just going through high school. I did drop out and performing arts, well, communication and media arts was my first um, field of study yeah. until I figured out that performing arts could have been much more easy escape. I mean, is it fair to say it was like a way out for you or like a way forward, probably more? Most likely a way forward, yeah. yeah. Um, as soon as I got into my first performance gig, I realised that nothing else would ever cater to what I can achieve more than performing arts. Yeah. You had um, an aunt who was Takatapu or who yes. was queer and yes. brown and could identify with you on lots of the things you were going through and that right. was a big like support and help and inspiration. Yes. So after I came out, my, I think my mum was the first person, as always, mums are the first um, 
wants to understand who you are. But there was also that one person that was there in the family. And I was very fortunate to have her around mm. who I could just be like, I need guidance from the, uh, an advocate of the community. And your mum was in that vice doco, eh? <laughs> yes, she was. Yeah. Has anyone seen the vice doco on, on Facebook? <laughs> so good. But your mum is like, there's like a part in it where she seems to be saying like, I still hope he comes back to God a little bit. <laughs> there, there was a, a, a certain discussion around religion during that time when I did the um, Vice documentary. She wasn't disagreeing with your lifestyle, actually. She was she just saying like God as well. Yeah. But we were constructive about the conversations we had, um, jumping back and forth. And... Yeah. There was obviously a lot of love there. There was a lot of love there. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like within Fathwag and within the coven, like this is just a community where identity and sexuality and fluidity and exploration of all of that is just accepted and the norm. And I guess I'm wondering, like if there was one thing that you wish people outside of that community understood what it would be? I would say that We've been here since long ago. Our existence is valid for a safer future. We just have to keep moving, moving forward, and we have to keep allowing or convincing people that we're just as human as we can be. Can I have another round of applause, please, for Jacob Hunter? Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so at the beginning of this evening, someone came out and read a poem to, with the express intention of making you uncomfortable. I hope that that did, because that was what I was trying to do. Um, but that person was not just any person. That's Laura Borrowdale. I don't know if any of you have heard of Aotearotika. It's a, um, an erotic literary journal based in New Zealand, and she is the editor. So can we please have a round of applause for Laura now? <laughs> Laura, you're a sex educator, you're a teacher, you're a columnist, you're at Sexy Sex Columns. She's about to deliver a keynote speech about sex and sexuality and the need to support LGTBQIA students at the New Zealand English Teachers Association. When's that, tomorrow or the next day? It's the next day. You've got a keynote. <laughs> I, I, I talk for an hour. Yeah. Amazing. And you're the editor of our amazing erotic journal. Does anyone here have, a, Dave, have people here read it? Anyone? Can you yell because I can't see anything? Yes. yes. It is so hot. The first time I ever saw your journal, <laughs> it was a couple of years ago and I was squirreled, I wasn't doing this yet, and someone squirreled me away into a corner and gave me a brown paper envelope. And I just started flicking through it and then I was like, oh, okay, no, this is for me to look at later. But now <laughs> I'm just like, everyone look at this. It's beautiful and very sexy. Yeah, we try. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, how long have you been going? You, you're just every one of them sells out. You're like the country's most popular literary <laughs> journal, weirdly. Yeah, we're uh, about to do uh, volume five, and it comes out in about a month. Okay, mm. and every one of them just sells out. They all sell out. Okay, yeah. so get them quickly. If My house is too out. small to have boxes of <laughs> So I read that interview from the wireless in 2016, and there was a bit in there where you talked about your dad. Mm. And how he'd been like, please don't do this. And please don't use your name. Well, we're the only Borrowdales in the country. Okay. Um, so if you, if you meet one, they're one of my relatives. Um, and they're so you should definitely <laughs> mention the journal on how great it is. 
that, that could really help you out. They'll either be totally into it or really embarrassed. So okay. it'll be one of those two directions. The reason I brought it up without giving you any warning is that because I had a conversation with my granddad recently that I recorded. It was for the masculinity. It, it didn't make it in partly because he broke my heart halfway through and started talking about how I'm doing myself a disservice by making a podcast about sex. My uncle's here too. He's like, yep, that's my dad. Um, so I relate. Like, it's, it's, I know it's generational. I get that. But when people, I guess, hear what you're doing and don't see the importance of it, what do you say? And I'm not just asking you so I can then use that myself on my... Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really good at being polite, so I smile and, I don't know, say something inconsequential. But I kind of feel sad for them. Like, I think it is something really important. And there's some really good, solid political reasons to do this kind of thing as well so I you know I, I feel that quite intently and I feel I feel sad for people who don't see it as important because um, sex can be a really important and wonderful part of people's lives mm. and those people may have missed out on that experience. And I guess you've seen because you've been a teacher and you were you were a gender studies teacher and were you the teacher that this is teenagers eh, like high school yeah. so they would come <laughs> to you and share their stuff with you so you've witnessed the importance of having someone to talk with about yeah in fact stuff. I'm talking about this exact thing with the English teachers right. conference association thing because it is really important for kids to have a trusted adult to to sound those things out on mm. I think um, it doesn't have to be a teacher it could be a counsellor it could be a family friend it could be anybody but somebody older who takes them seriously who gives them space to be heard and, and treats them with respect I'm just so it. you're talking to specifically to English teachers that's funny so this <laughs> is, but I mean I'm just picturing my English teachers and like Going up to them after class and being like, I don't know what I would have said. Like, Teaching is an ageing population. We don't have enough young teachers coming through. So the people that kids are seeing in the front of classrooms are from that older group of people. Um, somebody from that same age group asked me a couple of nights ago, why is it important to know about LBGTQIA issues in the classroom? Why can't we just treat them all the same? And I, I said something really polite and inconsequential. And, but at the same time, I tried to explain that they're not all the same. And if we treat them as though they're all straight white men, we'll have what's been happening for the last two millennia. And we've suddenly come to a point where we're realising that's not working mm. how we want it to. But I guess as well, a lot of those teachers, even if they did have good intent, might feel like they just don't even have the resources to go forward and do and Especially English teachers. Like, what are they? They're teaching, like, I don't know. What are English? What are you even? I don't remember. What are you? <laughs> books, books, books. <laughs> Books and stuff. But books and stuff, you know, how can you talk about Othello if you don't also talk about domestic violence um, or rape? Um, how can you unpack all of those things unless you have a bigger issue? If you just skim over them, if you teach a clockwork orange without talking about the rapes, um, you're doing those kids a disservice. The journal, I guess, I'm assuming that the journal is... Um, you would have your finger on the pulse of what's, of, of what's going on around New Zealand a little based on what submissions you get and what people want and like and want to read about? I am Horrible. so sick of sexy limericks <laughs> because people send them to me all the time. <laughs> and Can you do one? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't memorise the bad submissions. Okay. One of my favourite submissions that I haven't published was um, about a car. <laughs> a, a real hot car. <laughs> it was a car that made women orgasm in the front seat, and I was really Sounds disappointed. Fucking brilliant! <laughs> I know, but I said, "What I kind of, I kind of imagined that this car would be like a transformer or something." <laughs> <laughs> but ag 
Actually, it was haunted by the ghost of this woman's dead ex-boyfriend who was really good at oral sex. So, ah. um, I think I feel like there's a market for this that you've underestimated. <laughs> you write for the journal, don't you? Because you put, as well as your name on the front as the editor, you put out quite some quite beautiful and also quite explicit stories. I, um, there's one in particular. Oh, is, is there just one? Well, there's one especially that I've seen you read in public and that was amazing. Do, do you know what, though? The story that Melody's talking about, I read at the Wellington Lit Crawl and it's called The Bull. It's about a woman who goes to her mother's farm and masturbates on the driveway in front of an enormous bull. And, um, and it's amazingly written. <laughs> It's about the power It's lived of in the Melody's memory ever since, clearly. <laughs> it is. It's a, it was a powerful... It was a, it, like, I feel like we're not doing it justice here. Okay, but out of yeah. 1,200 words, um, the, part that, the only parts that could be construed as explicit or actually even mentioning body parts is 100 words. Right. So your perception of that story is coloured by the explicit components, but yes. then it's not the entirety of it. No, but the the hundred words were pretty good. <laughs> um, so we, but we're going to finish with you reading another poem, and this is a great one. This one's called Guilt. Do you, do you just want me to go? I do. I feel like I've been told off, and I can tell who's the dom and who's the sub in this relationship. <laughs> or who's the so teacher? Or who's the teacher? <laughs> well, <laughs> dom teacher. <clears throat> tomato, tomato. <clears throat> Poem called Guilt. I'm a bad mother. My children watch Donald Duck downstairs while on my bed I've stripped you bare. I run my tongue over your body as though you are my oasis in the desert, as though I am searching for the secret well of you. I find the places that make you gasp, your head lifting from the pillow, your eyes half closed. You fill out my mouth and I calculate the minutes I have left, the length of Donald's quack. The time shimmers like a mirage, and like a bad mother, I give in. The bedclothes shift like drifts of sand, banking up around my knees, and the salt at the back of my throat is both pleasure and pain, love and guilt. Beneath us, the children laugh and laugh. Thank you, everyone. Put your hands together for Laura Borrowdale. I'm very excited about this next interview. Who has listened to the um, episode of the podcast that came out like yesterday? Brilliant. Okay, who remembers a person called Shelley? Okay, Shelley's here. Please, everyone, put your hands together for Shelley. I'll tell the rest of you who Shelley is in a second. So let's set this up because some people here haven't heard this. So we talked, it was a while ago. How long was it when we initially chatted? Like six weeks or something? A mm, couple of months. And do you want to say why you came initially to talk to me? Yeah, so I came and talked to you because I was listening to the podcast and hadn't heard too many stories about virginity, of which I am expert in. <laughs> and um, I just wanted to unpack that with someone and it was sort of part of my therapeutic process I guess and the idea of when you've wanted to keep something and then decided that you don't want to anymore but you've passed those years where you're like allowed to just like go you off and the get it done window. yeah miss the yeah. window in that conversation we talked a little about you grew up in a religious family that was like quite active within mm-hmm. your church and at some point you started wondering if the things you'd learned about virginity and about purity and all of those things still fit you and so for the last few years you've been doing a lot of 
of admirable research into sex and sexuality, but in terms of the actual like doing the thing, it hasn't been that straightforward kind of. Also, you're a marriage celebrant. Got to mention that for other people because it's an amazing part of the story. Go listen to the episode for more on that. But at the end of that interview, and we didn't include it in the podcast, you asked me for advice, which is a terrible idea. I'm not qualified in any way in case anyone hadn't picked that up previously. But you said that you'd thought at some point about potentially like asking a friend to kind of help you out with this thing. And I gave you two pieces of advice because first I was like, well, that sounds like it could be a cool idea. And then we did the virginity episode for the podcast where we learned that virginity is a social construct and we shouldn't be aiming for that in the first place. And so then I texted and I was like, wait, <laughs> like, <laughs> don't just do the P and V thing. Like, just do some other fun stuff and see how you like it, yeah? Yeah, you said like that doesn't have to be the goal. Yeah. That you can just enjoy the things and yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yep. But I got a message from you, which we've got, eh? Are you going to? So I got a message from you, I don't know how long ago. You were going on a trip to Australia to see a friend and to maybe ask them about this thing that you wanted to do with them. And look at that! <laughs> Okay, let me just interrupt quickly. I got so wrapped up in the excitement on the night that I forgot to tell you what we're seeing on the theatre projector. This is a message that I received from Shelley on Facebook that reads, Melody, I did some sex-adjacent things last night. Things are looking promising for the live event. Okay, so I don't know. I know as much as you all know about this. I was like, do not tell me until we're in front of an audience. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real, I'm going to try to be real chill about it because virginity is a construct that we're not, and we're not aiming for that. So, so where do you want to start with this one? I had been seeing this guy from Dinder and he asked if I wanted to come over and watch something on Netflix. And so we started watching this thing, but it was the new season of Arrested Development that I actually really wanted to watch seriously. And he was he was starting to talk during it and I was like, can we talk about whether we're watching this or talking because I want to watch this. And if we're not, we can pause it. He's like, oh, I just thought it could be on in the background. I was like, mm, not that's background. not what I... Let's put on something else yeah. that we're going to do. So we paused that and and then we're just chatting and then he was talking about like his previous relationship or whatever and I was nice work yeah so then he was like so you know what about you what was your last relationship like and I was like well and he said oh are you gonna tell me that your last partner was like 65 or something I don't know why he went there but anyway and um I was like no so I haven't had a relationship before and then he was really surprised which I suppose is flattering and then um, <laughs> yeah totally flattering and then was like so have you kissed anyone I said yes and then he said so have you had sex and I said no um does this happen every time you date someone this little job interview thing um well we haven't always got to that point right, where okay. we've brought it up but yeah okay. when yeah Mostly. I guess it kind of has to, yeah, okay. At some point. And yeah. I had said to you that if I was wanting to experiment, I was wanting to tell them out, because yeah. I yeah. don't rate my flirting skills. Yeah. And I said to him that if we do this or if we do some things, I don't want you to think that now we have to like get married or now I'm in love with you because yeah. that was the fear yeah, that yeah. someone would think it has to be really super serious because I haven't done something, yeah. done it for so long when actually I just want it to be like anyone else. Yeah. So then he was like, okay, I'm going to kiss you now. And of course, I'm just like, oh, okay. I'm like, I'm keen, but also like terrified and want to like escape the room. Did some things, enjoyed it. It was all very nice to look at and hold, and hold in the hand. And, oh! Um, yes! Brilliant. I think, I 
think because I there was some sort of conditioning, like if because I was told that you're not meant to do sex until this certain time, that yeah. maybe that came with thinking like there's something going to be gross about like the penis ah. or about the body. But you're like, and I, I like just didn't get that, yeah, and I didn't get that. And then yeah. when I saw it, I was like, that looks cool. Yeah. Like, <laughs> into it. Oh my god. Um, and so then after that night, like we did some things, and then after that night, I was like, probably still just ask my friend, like I was going to see him the next week. I was like, I think I'll do that as well. Like I'm not exclusive. <laughs> She's just going to get it all done. <laughs> Like, why not wait, like, 29 and a half years and then just do it all in, like, yes. a week, you know? Okay. So then I messaged this friend of mine, because, again, didn't rate my flirting skills. We went out to dinner and talked about it some more at dinner, and then afterwards he was like, so, do you want to go and have another dr drink or something? And I was like, no, we could probably just... I wasn't wanting to, like, get really drunk in order to feel comfortable to do it. Like, right. I already knew that I wanted to do it. And so this time it was a little bit more, like, just getting started was a bit more like we were giggling a lot because friends. I'm friends with them. And, yeah, yeah and, and I was like, how do we, like, transition into sexy time? Like, he put on his playlist, and so then we jo I joked about how he had a, <laughs> had so a sexy playlist. I want to ask, but I'm just going to hold back. Um, so then, yeah, did some more... Did some more things, again, really enjoyed it. Both of them were really good at, like, asking along the way, like, if, if I was, yeah, how I was feeling and if it was okay and just, like, checking in, which was really nice. I think, I feel, like, I haven't felt any guilt either, which has been really nice. I was thinking, like, oh, I'm going to, like, the next day wake up and feel really bad because of this, like, ingrained mm. um, sort of guilt that had been there for a long time. But I really didn't. Like, I enjoyed it. I would have stopped if I didn't. And... I wanted to do it and was curious about it and into it and it was great. So, um, yeah. Woo oh, and <laughs> with one of them, yeah. I yeah. got him off with my hand. Yeah. I felt like a bloody magician because <laughs> it was like quite a bit of work, quite a bit of work. And halfway through, I was like, geez, like, can he just... <laughs> Can he do the thing? And it reminded me of one of those, you know, those balloons that have water in them yeah! that you... <laughs> anyway, so then, but then I didn't give up. Really glad I didn't. And then... Amazing. I did that, and I was like, achievement. <laughs> achievement unlocked. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my... You are amazing. You are so inspirational right now. So, 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 even though virginity is a social construct and we don't um, care about that, do you want to do it? Is that, is that it? Does everyone else know what I'm trying to ask and failing at it? I think, yeah, like, I think one of my friends was like, so would you still call yourself a virgin? And I That's was like, what, I'm what is it? Say. Yeah, and, I, and, it, and then I was kind of like, with which one? You know, because there's so many <laughs> now. Um, but actually, I think both of them, like, if, if, if I'm thinking about it as just, like, enjoying it and feeling comfortable and I guess trying new things then I suppose with both of them. So what about what about now looking forward? Where are we at now? Yeah, I think what I'm excited about is that now I don't have to talk about it if I don't want to. Yeah. Again <laughs> with them. You don't have to do this. Because yeah, it doesn't have to be a disclaimer and that's what I was worried about that there would be either that it would be like a fetish thing or that it would be like, Oh, now she's gonna think I'm in love with them because I've done this thing. Yeah. yeah, and so now I feel like I don't have to bring it up unless I want to. I'm feeling really good about my decision. And I didn't feel, um, even in the moment, like I wasn't feeling self-conscious. I thought I might feel like 
funny about like my body, you know, it's like the first time you're seeing someone naked and they're seeing mm. you, but I didn't. And I think those things, because I was coming at it at someone who's nearly 30, I just didn't care about some stuff. I was like, I didn't have to like have everything waxed and shaved and yes. stuff. Like I just didn't, yeah, I didn't feel like I needed to be a certain thing. If they weren't into it, then that was fine. But mm. also they were into it. And it was really nice to have that affirmation of, because I guess I hadn't had that before. I hadn't yeah. known if somebody would like find me appealing. And so it was nice to have that yes. reinforcement. So in some ways I'm really glad that it happened this way because I could control it and I chose my timing and I mm. didn't really care about some of the things that I think like 15 year old me would have cared about. Yeah, and really I think nice. there's going to be a lot of people listening whose virginity or first times or first experiences were not amazing. Who, mm. Like I think it just kind of further clarifies that there's no right way to do any of these things. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, amazing. Everyone put their hands together for Shelly, please. So it's time now, I think this is our final segment for the evening, to bring back Lena and Nick Bates for some more audience questions. One more, yes. <laughs> Number one, I've been with my partner for around four years. About a year or so ago, we stopped having sex. Both just kind of lost interest in it. We still love each other deeply and have a great relationship. How do we get it back? The next question, if we have, this is kind of, it's different but related. If we have different schedules and sleep patterns, how do we maintain a sex life? I feel like those people have kids. Another one, after having kids, sex has become less frequent and more burdensome, especially for my wife. Sometimes expresses feeling all touched out. I hear you, wife. Mm. I don't want to get all needy and whingy, so I accept it and leave it at that. But at the same time, can be frustrating. Worried about growing resentful. Help, please, mates, with kisses. I thought that was pretty cute. And I've been with my boyfriend for three years. My interest in sex has withered. I don't want to break up because I still love him, but I don't know how to get the spark back. So there's a th- like this is something that a lot of people struggle with is I love this person. We've been together for years. Like, what do we do about the fact that this part of us isn't working or isn't what we think it should be? Yeah, I mean, we are very poorly educated about sex and relationships and the way they change and evolve. Mm. And... So, so often, uh, you know, we, we, our expectations are kind of formed by, you know, maybe prior relationships or, you know, um, or even what this relationship was like at the beginning. But it's like, it's not like, you know, it, get, it, it changes, you know, over time. Certainly if you have introduced small children into the, uh, into the mix and so forth, you wouldn't know what that, anything about that, would you, Melody? No way. <laughs> Got a great, very healthy sex life. Thank you very yeah, much, yeah. Nick <laughs> Um, I wasn't actually implying though, I was just meaning about the oh, children. Fine. But anyway, that's fine. That's fine. You go, you go there if you want to go there. That's no, fine. you're on the couch. Oh, Continue. Okay, <laughs> so, um, I mean, there's people there who are kind of not talking to their partners about it. And I think, you know, first thing is, well, we've got to be having this conversation. And I mean, I mean, that's what I do for a living is I help couples have the difficult conversations. So it's easy for me to say, I, I know it's possible to talk about these things and to have the difficult conversations. But I, I understand that it is hard for people. Planning sex can be really sexy and fun. Tell us how to make it sexy and fun. Well, yeah, I was in a long-distance relationship, so, like, the anticipation... because you don't have to see them all the time. That's true. That's true. <laughs> that was part of the appeal. But when, um, you, <laughs> but, but, when you, but when you have small children, you hardly see each other either. That's true. And when you do, though, it's like, you do that thing, I just did that thing, now I'm going to go... Yeah, and, and that's that the thing, thing about yeah. carving out time, and then not only you're carving out the time to have the sex you're carving out the time beforehand to talk about having the sex, suddenly you're engaging with your partner again 
And that conversation is solely about, okay, two weeks from tomorrow, <laughs> we're going to have these two and a half hours and oh, baby. Oh, so the two and a half hours <laughs> is the talking and the sex, eh? <laughs> yeah, well, we did. I mean, obviously there's no standard, but two and a half hours feels like. <laughs> In every couple, there's always one person who wants sex more than the other on average. Sometimes over, the, over a long-term relationships, people will swap which role they're in, right, which is kind of interesting, because mm. people's heads in, mm. you know, and it's like, so how do we deal with that? How do we talk about that? What does that mean? Mm. You know, if, if the fact that, 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 you know, if I'm in a relationship and my partner doesn't want sex when I want it, if I treat that like a rejection, if I treat that like you don't want me, then that starts freighting the sex with a whole lot of other stuff, which is actually about my, you know, my insecurities, for example. Mm. I don't, I mean, sometimes it can be hard to see it in any, any other way in that moment, yeah? It's hyper, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like it can be hard when someone's saying not now, not tonight, they to be like, oh, that's not to do with, like, me. If I was so desirable, like, you would just be, like, you know, we'd yeah. just, we'd be there well, already. Well, no, actually. Yeah. I mean, no, like, nobody's that desirable. Sorry. Yeah, and, and, and also, no one's that desirable if you're living with them, like you're saying, day in, day out, know your nooks and crannies, know the good and the, the bad. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> it's like, it's a different ball game, and... Mm. and it's a d- totally different, beautiful ball game. Shall we answer some of these questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let, yeah quickly. Please, can we? What should we start with? Okay, I'll, okay. so here we go. We've touched on this a little bit, and you've touched on it a little bit. Is non- non-monogamy sustainable in the long term? Uh, I mean, the answer has to be yes, because there are people who are doing it. So, um, I mean, the question could as easily be asked, is, is monogamy sustainable in the long term, given how, how, how a few people manage to make that work, work mm. uh, you know, long term? So... Making a relationship work for the long term of any kind is difficult. And I do think non-monogamous relationships can be, can be more complicated. It kind of depends on the, on mm. the nature of them. But, I mean, again, it's that if, if people are, you know, respectful, caring, stick to the rules that they've negotiated and agreed to, not that have been imposed upon them, but it's kind of like whatever boundaries you put on your relationship because, you know, non-monogamous relationships have, just have different boundaries. They and they're also one thing they do really well, for the, for the most part, the successful ones, I guess, is talk a lot and reassure ones. each other a lot. And Because yeah. something I think often with that's at the root of a lot of problems with relationships is we're not taught to value spending time on relationships like we're supposed to be like going to work doing our hobbies doing this this that and the other i feel like with entering non-monogamy it suddenly becomes more obvious that relationships take time and take energy and that that's a valuable conversation to be having Mm. but that's something that's missed out a lot take it for granted yeah Yeah. Yeah. Mm. i mean what i say to people you know and this in part comes back to what the the talk about scheduling but if it's important to you if you're a busy person it's important to you it's in your diary sex in your diary i like well, it well i'm actually thinking about I'm actually you know quali- quality time for intimacy oh, which, right, yeah, yeah. which may include sex right yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's what i mean by the two and a half hours yeah is, is, I, is, the, is the other oh. sides the, <laughs> the other dad s- <laughs> <laughs> the time with just being intimate that doesn't have the pressure of you know, having intercourse to the point of orgasm, mm. I think that could also, like, help when people feel pressured and they're touched out, they don't want to have sex. It's like, okay, what if we just spend intimate time with each other? This one's interesting, and this may be... Hang on, we may have to pick one last one, I reckon. We do. Okay. okay. 
How do you tell your partner or your friends, because friends talk to each other about the stuff that you have, you've never orgasmed, and what would your pointers be to letting it happen? I mean, I think it's really Im- important to talk with your partner about it if it's something that's bothering you. It's hard though, isn't it? Because then if you say, I've never done this thing, then it's, it's how it can be heard as the last however many years that we've been having sex hasn't been, fulfil- been fulfilling. But you should address that because sex I mean, can be fulfilling, fulfilling without, without orgasm. orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, later. So I guess, so I mean, see, in my head, I'm like, cool, let's help you get to orgasm. But you guys are like, meh. Orgasm yeah. or not, it can be yeah, fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, don't limit yourself. It's a smorgasbord. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sex is a language. Or know? a smorgasbord, either. <laughs> 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 smorgasbord. Okay. okay. So, but obvious, but it sounds like it's something sh- that this person, I, who I yeah. assumed so, was female, yeah. but it sounds like it's something that they want. Like, has this person never had an orgasm by themselves? Maybe. That's what well, I mean. That, that, yeah. would, that would certainly be the question. The, 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 my next question, because I think there's, a, you know, fr- there are a, a lot of people who can orgasm by themselves, but find it difficult to transfer that to partner sex. I mean, this person says never, so yeah. we're going to assume yeah. never. So, okay. my non-expert advice would be to start to have explore with yourself first. That would be the expert advice too. You know, there's some good literature, there's some good books. Um, uh, Elusive Orgasm by... Um, Vivian Caswell. Thanks, Verity. Yes. Viv Caswell. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Come as you are. Come as you are. Emily Nagoski, that's a book every, every woman... Um, yeah. it pr- it's pretty, slightly it, it heteronormative, but if you... Yeah, just bear with it. You know, a lot of good advice in there, and, and a lot of it is around sort of not trying too hard, but learning to recognise yeah. sort of where you are in, mm. the, in the excitement. And it also, if, sh- if this person is female, talking to other females because multiple of my friends are, the, are, have, are in that same You will boat. not be al- alone. You could play this podcast to them. Just have it playing Isn't that part of what the agenda of this podcast is though is that, is that I don't have an agenda This is public broadcasting We're t- totally objective All oh, right. Okay. <laughs> Continue sorry Okay. Um, certainly one of the ways I see this podcast As being, uh, as being of value is that, is that it encourages people to have a conversation So you could, you know, you could, you could listen to it With a friend and say You know and then this is me, you know. Mm. It's like the, you know, this is me. So that it's part. It's it's already part of the conversation. But mm. yeah, I mean, I mean, you pick your. You know, you got to pick your friends carefully. And yeah. generally, if you know somebody is kind of on your side and sympathetic and cares, you say, look, this is what I'm I'm struggling with, you know, and then see what they say. And, and if it's not, um, I think with any situation like that, if the first person you go to doesn't feel right, don't give up there mm. because you know you won't know until you try talking to someone else. Yeah. And I think that's it. I think is there I think we're about to be kicked out. So, thank you to everyone. This is officially the last episode of this season. I'll see everyone for season 3. Thank you so much for listening to Bang. We're going to take a little break now to gather some stories for another season. So if you have something you want to talk with me about, you can email bang at radionz.co.nz or find me on Twitter and send me a message. Now is also a great time to find us on your podcast app and rate and review. Otherwise, we'll see you again shortly for season three.
The Bang Live Show was hosted by Melody Thomas. It was produced with help from William Ray and Justin Gregory. The executive producer is Tim Watkin. The sound engineers are Adrian Holley and William Saunders. There was help backstage from Amelia Langford. Also, big thanks to the team at the Basement Theatre for all their help in making this show happen.